Hi, welcome back to Identity Crisis Podcast. I'm your host, Nicola. This is my first paywalled episode, so thank you to all of my early Patreon subscribers. I really appreciate your early support. My guest today is hot young writer, Magdalene Taylor. Um, Most recently, Magdalene was a staff writer at the fantastic Mel magazine, which awkwardly um, just abruptly kind of ended. (laughs) Do you want to talk about that at all? Um, Yeah, sure. I mean, we're, I think we're like still technically like on hiatus. Um, Like either we'll get new funding or we won't and we will be, you know, done. Uh, But right now it's like still totally a mystery to me and everyone else on staff. But yeah, for all intents and purposes, like we've all been laid off. (laughs) So yeah, that was just like very strange that it was just kind of like announced in this really like flat, weird way where it was like, okay, this is going to kind of happen. And everyone was just sort of like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. He, he's just like, yeah, I think like we're going to just stop publishing for two months and either that'll be it or we'll come back. Um, yeah. Thanks. Well, yeah. hopefully it comes back um, because for anyone who doesn't know which maybe is a lot of people honestly because I think like in media world like Mel is really beloved but you know there's probably a lot of people out there who didn't really have the chance to get into it but was funded by Dollar Shave Club and kind of represented like a pretty cool way for brands to do like brand supported media that wasn't just a blog about the brand um and hopefully we'll like set some kind of example for like brand content that can be more ambitious than just like, here's how we created our shoe, you know? Yeah, we, it was fun because we did not have to write about razors at all. Yeah. We, had, we, we didn't have to do anything that made us feel like we were writing to promote Dollar Shave Club. We just yeah. kind of existed. So it's definitely fun while it lasted. I hope that like, yeah, I don't really, I can't think of any other brand that like has a content platform that is like that free, but it's like, it's fucking cool. And and I hope that it leads to, I don't know. I hope it sets an example for other companies, but yeah, kind of a weird pseudo ending. Hopefully not the end though. Yeah. Still just a, a mystery, but um. Yeah, I'm considering myself like an, a freelance writer now. Yeah. So, yeah. And you said you were busy this week, so you're you are doing like freelance writing. Yeah. Um I am still like totally working on getting back into the swing of things. I was writing two things a day for Mel. Um and now, you know, having to write two things a week um, makes me want to die. Um but, so hard. Yeah. Um but I am I am writing stuff and I'm learning how to pitch and <laughs> figuring all sucks. that out <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah oh my it God. does yeah I but. yeah I've been freelance for like five or six years or something and it sucks um I mean sometimes it's cool but mostly it sucks but also you're famously a juggalette intellectual um you published a 100 plus page thesis I'm lifting this from your website on the juggalo community and the gathering of the juggalos festival analyzing the relationship between horror and class uh that's pretty cool 
how did you get into juggalo culture? Was that something that like as a, as a young teen you were introduced to? Yeah, my first introduction to juggalos was when I was like seven or eight. My sister went to rehab and there were a bunch of juggalos in there with her. And she came home and was like, there's these people who listen to music about clowns killing people. Um, and, you know, being like seven, that's the scariest thing you can think of. Um, mm-hmm. So that kind of began like, you know, a terrified fascination when I was really little. And then as a teenager, um, yeah, my high school boyfriend was like a secret juggalo. Um, and that kind of renewed everything for me. I was like, oh, this is actually, this is more than just like a vice spectacle. This is a cool subculture and community. And then I got to college. Was he a secret juggalo? Was he a secret juggalo like to his family or secret to you or secret to who? Secret to like his public image. It wasn't Mm. like something, he wasn't like, he wouldn't really tell people he was a juggalo um, or like present himself as a, yeah, he didn't present himself as a juggalo in any way, but like he listened to a lot of insane clown posse and was very genuine about it. Um, but then, yeah, I got to college and I had a lot of like academic freedom there to pick what I wanted to study. And it seemed like the perfect thing because I was really fascinated by how they had become a spectacle and become so like mocked by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just, I, I, you know, learned quickly. <laughs> They're very. Oh, that's my dog. Oliver, please stop. <laughs> I'm recording. Oh. Go on. Yeah, I just learned quickly that there's a lot more, a lot more to the subculture than just them, the clowns and the chopping up bodies. Um, and. I care a lot about like class identity and mm. this this was the perfect way to explore that and kind of find like the richness of it all. So what yeah. is the kind of like, not to spend the whole pod talking about this cause we could, but like, what's kind of the, I guess like, what would you tell people who, what is the nuance that like you think most people are missing from this or like the takeaway that, that you would give people? My takeaway is mainly that, like, this isn't a bunch of people, like, looking and acting stupid because they're stupid. They they turn themselves into clowns, literally, like, to make a mockery of themselves before other people can. And to, mm. like, have, have ownership over their identity, especially because so many of them are lower class, rural, or Midwestern people. Um who like have otherwise you know kind of only only been identified by their class existence Mm -hmm. um and so being a juggalo is kind of a way to position themselves uh both both like against that identity but also owning like their class experience and making something unique and communal about it this fits actually so beautifully into our Jersey Shore discussion we're going to go into. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, But just right before we get into that, like, 
uh, I just wanted to say like, I'm not entirely sure how or when I started following your work, but definitely like for the listeners out there, this is our first time talking or like seeing each other. Um, we're definitely just <laughs> online friends so far. I've realized that like this podcast project of mine is kind of turning into me just like having conversations with people I enjoy following online, which I think there's actually probably a lot of podcasts I follow. And that's what I like about them is people getting to talk to people um, who they haven't, who they clearly like admire each other, but haven't been able to like actually talk. But I, I really liked um, Mel and also like your work in particular, because I feel like you guys have been able to talk about sex in a contemporary way that doesn't feel cringe or prudish or exploitative. Like God bless the cut for so many things, but like whenever they try to write about something sex related or like um kind of I don't know like how do we talk about like trends in sexuality or like what people are doing with the internet or sexting or anything between like technology and sex it is either written from this point of view that seems to be like a married woman who is like looking at it from years away from like being in it and seems to be sort of like commenting on it in this like either like hyper intellectual or kind of like wow way or this like very very young woman who's kind of like I don't know just like it doesn't also doesn't seem to be part of it just seems to be like gawking at it or like freaked out by it and I always just appreciated like um most recently I really loved your piece on the sort of like meme, but also truth that women don't want dick pics, they want nut videos. And it doesn't feel like it's being written in this like way that is like supposed to be clickbaity and like overly sexualized for the point of being sexualized. But it's, it feels like something where I'm like, I can send this article to a guy and be like, will you read this? Cause like, it's going to explain uh, the truth of what I want to tell you in a way that like, I don't actually really want to explain this to you, but it's going to be like, cool and chill and down to earth and true um but like not I don't know like yeah anyway that is for for my nine patreon listeners that is um that's why that's that's where I'm coming from as to like why I wanted to talk to you and like where I started following you from well thank you I really appreciate that (laughs) and yeah topic one we're going to talk about today is Jersey Shore which is loaded with sex and class so let's yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I never watched this show before. I, wa- I think I, when it first came out, so the show debuted late 2009. Um, and I love the era of like, to me, 2007 is like one of the most important years, like in history, that's the year that the iPhone came out and it was kind of like the sort of like Lindsay Lohan heyday. And it's just like, I want to do a whole episode about the year 2007. Cause I think it was a really big, like cultural line in the sand, um, for a lot of reasons. So 2009 is like, it's right in that era of a lot going on with celebrity changing with technology changing with the modes of which we can represent ourselves change. I don't know, just a lot of norms shifting. Um, but I hadn't really, I, I think I had watched like some of the show, but I sort of had the impression where I was like, oh, it's um, it's a lot of like loud, drunk people being wasted 
Um, at that point, I was like a fashion student in New York City. So I was like, this is like, I have other things going on that I'm interested in. Like, uh, this is really not for me. I don't know what else I was watching at the time, but I was like, this is not, this ain't it. So did you watch the show before this? I did watch the show. I know that I definitely watched the first season in its entirety. I distinctly remember like my riding to school and listening to the radio in the morning and hearing like the DJs talking about the controversy over like Guido and Guidette culture um, and like whether this was a bad thing for (laughs) Italians. Yeah, Um, because you're you're from like, the region like because you're from western Massachusetts right Mm -hmm. and what is the relationship I'm from the midwest so this also like I don't really have a um, like a regional relationship like with the Jersey Shore like when it was on I was living in the region but it wasn't really I didn't have like that connection with it like what is the relationship between like western mass and Jersey Shore like is there any yeah there definitely is I mean I would say that it's not as big as like Boston and you know just eastern Massachusetts in general um but you know there's definitely a pretty prominent uh, Italian American community here um and you know like I I've been on vacation to uh the Jersey Shore once or twice before the show came out um so I felt like I, I had some familiarity with like that that location um with family or with um like friends for a party thing oh just with with family I mean I was yeah because 2009 I I was either 12 or 13 when the show came out Mm -hmm. um so I know a lot of people who mostly go there with family like I know it as more of like as a wholesome kind of reputation like I don't really know a lot of or like most of the people I know who are from Jersey are like no that show does not represent the Jersey Shore yeah yeah no I mean it was definitely it it was definitely a family friendly place um and that's what I think is so funny about like the level of partying they do on the show like it of course there's clubs and there's bars and stuff but it it's not like it's not distinctly like an adult venue in any way um but yeah I just went when I was a kid and like went on amusement park rides and like won weird toys at like arcades and stuff so yeah I was reading I was curious to see what the kind of like prestige media coverage was while it first came out so I was looking up like New York Times and New Yorker coverage um from like I don't know like the tv sections like right when it came out and I learned that the new, the new Jersey Italian American Legislative Caucus call, called for the show's cancellation because of like the stereotyping of Guido Guidette, which I guess is like kind of one of those, um, like sort of like a derogatory term that they were like kind of trying to reclaim. But it's also such an obscure term that it's like, is anyone really offended by this word? I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's so funny just that like Italian American representation in media has always been controversial. And like, I don't know, I would say that the Jersey Shore 
probably was a bigger detriment to the overall media image than like any mob movie or show. Um, probably, but just, yeah. But just for completely different reasons. Um, but yeah, I, I, it's funny it, with the whole Guido Guida thing that they have going on in the Jersey Shore. What's so funny about it is that it's like entirely this like narrative created by MTV, it seems, because like Snooki's like Chilean, like a lot of them are not Italian. Um, yeah, I learned that while I was reading my prestige media, yeah. which I didn't, I didn't know and I didn't really want to learn. But her last name is like, it ends in a vowel, which is, it's very important to her that she marries a guy whose last name ends in a vowel. Um, because her last name is like Polzani or something. Yeah, she definitely does have an Italian sounding name. Um, so maybe her dad's Italian or mom's Chilean or something. But that's yeah, the thing about so. being Italian American is that you're yeah. like mixed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like my last name's Taylor, and yeah, like, I, I am Italian, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, there's definitely a big clinging to that italian identity like i i would be very curious to see the lineage of like the more italian characters on the show too to see how much of that is like how italian are they really not that i need to like you know <laughs> uh gatekeep their italianness but i'm just yeah because like, like curious maybe about it, it is like a state of mind because like yeah i think like Vinny's family is like his mom is straight off the boat from sicily he's first generation and like they show his family a lot and he has like I don't know I kind of wish I'd recorded this like right after I started watching it because I felt like my mind was really like really raw like now I've been, I've been watching it for probably like a week or two now and I think I'm on like season six or something it's all I've been watching so I'm like really kind of like normalized to it now um, but when I first started watching it I felt like I felt really comforted by it in a couple of ways. Like um, seeing like my, my own Italian American family has become like way watered down and like way less uh, like traditional and stuff in my lifetime for sure. But seeing the kind of like, um, like when Vinny's family comes to visit or like when he, when they show shots at his house and like seeing just like, the huge meal and like the huge family and that kind of thing like was really comforting to me and I was like oh is this am I ha am I connecting with this on a kind of like COVID level is like that some of the comfort this is bringing me is that it's like reminding me of like a I don't know like it, it started to make me think about the difference of being kind of like being white in America and having an experience where you are connected to having a very large extended family versus being really atomized just with having a like small um, nuclear family. And then these like kind of two groups of like, just like your mom's family and your dad's family. And they're just these like two groups of people who you see maybe once or twice a year, maybe not even every year that you don't really know and how different it is to be, I guess, like a quote unquote, like ethnic white. Um, I don't know. I really was like getting into my head about all of this, uh, 
this like extended family stuff um, and my own kind of like childhood and just how different my extended family is today because I feel like I went from having really um, like my dad was from a neighborhood that was like very Italian American and lots of lots of trees of the family lived there like lots of branches or whatever and like now my family isn't like that at all and like it's kind of sad um but another thing that I really latched onto was how how much they love grooming and self-presentation like they love getting ready they love looking good and I was like I found myself in the first week of watching it like taking a lot more time like getting ready and I was like putting on eyeliner and shit for no reason because I was like (laughs) I want to look good. Like that's part of being Italian American is like caring about your looks. Yeah, absolutely. I'm in the midst of watching it now and I absolutely feel like I need to go get a spray tan and I have to like wear heels when I go out. Like, yeah, I I think about Wow saying that like, you know, like her and her Gliat friends, like it's about like having like the hottest the, the hottest clothes the hottest heels and I'm like okay heels like I need to figure this out like, <laughs> I know <laughs> I was thinking about like um like I don't want to wear Snooki's outfits but I kind of want her silhouette of like wearing something like really because I'm only 5'3 and she's 4'9 so that's she's obviously much smaller than me but I was thinking about the silhouette of wearing like a really short dress with like really big shoes, like platform and a heel and just like trying to like fake out having like really long legs basically. And I was like, I kind of want to wear like tiny dress, huge shoe, like right now with like, um, very purposely like visible bra. Yes, absolutely. And you know, that reminds me, I read some like Rachel rabbit white interview recently where she talked about how like what every woman needs is like a black pair of platforms and a, and a white pair of platforms or something like that. And I feel like like that that formula of of tiny woman, big heels, tiny dress, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's really universal. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'm I'm like five one, so it's it's kind of the same over here too. Like I. I have to, it's really just the walking part. I can't imagine Mm -hmm. like going out in a big pair of heels anymore. Um, But I think that like for, you know, for the sake of the aesthetic, it needs to be done. Yeah. I think that um, when I, when I, I'm back in New York now, but when I moved from New York to LA, the first thing I thought was like, oh, I can finally wear impractical shoes because it's such a like, car to curb lifestyle that I don't have to worry about like trekking up and down the subway stairs or like carrying flats with me blah 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 but then once I was in LA I never lived a heels lifestyle like (laughs) I lived a total like sneakers like boring life and now I'm back in New York and I'm like okay I'm ready to like live my heels lifestyle but I have to negotiate with either paying like huge uber fees or going back to like carrying a huge bag and like having a change of shoes or something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that's something about New York that maybe is, 
another theme that they have going in the Jersey Shore too is that like it's very much a like a C and B scene thing just by nature of the walking that you do. Where mm-hmm. LA LA does not have like that street fashion sense to it because people aren't walking and being seen like on the sidewalk or the boardwalk. So yeah, yeah. Then you have to get pictures. Like I know. I mean, I have endless things to say about New York versus LA style um, <laughs> but also another episode one thing yeah. I thought okay so when I was reading these kind of like prestige media reviews of this um the New Yorker one thing that they like hit on that I didn't understand at the time and did understand now was um that you know these shows exist so that we can feel superior, which is something that I did understand and something that kind of always turned me off from these shows because I have always just felt like it's kind of a reflection on you of like how low you hit. Like people, like I always think about like people take power where they can. And like when you see someone like screaming at a person who's like working at a fast food establishment or something, like that says so much about the person who's screaming. Like you just know that that person has no power if that's where they need to take power. And some of these shows that just like really prey on it's like if you have to like watch certain kinds of reality shows to like feel good about yourself it just like says things about you um and I guess like I've always kind of just felt like "Mm, not into that but what I didn't understand is that at the time is that they the characters are so in on it and the New Yorker like makes a point that the stars of the show are also in on it but what that does for the audience is that it relieves the guilt of indulging in the so-called guilty pleasure or whatever um which I thought was kind of interesting have you ever thought about I mean what are your thoughts on that kind of like galaxy brain of like enjoying versus judging versus feeling better about yourself blah 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 like with reality tv yeah, you know, I, I guess I had never really thought about it much recently in the context of Jersey Shore. I think about it a lot with like TLC shows, like mm. Thousand Pound Sisters or something like mm. that, where like in a lot of those shows, it really, <laughs> you're like literally watching somebody die, essentially, yeah. or like, you know, nearing closer to death. Um, but yeah, with Jersey Shore, I mean, I I have try- been trying to think about, like, what what is it that I feel like Snooki has, like, brought us, like, as, as a society? Like, because I feel grateful to her in a lot of ways, but I can't really pinpoint what it is and whether my gratitude is actually that kind of, like, voyeuristic pleasure um or if I feel that she's actually like contributed to our understanding of like performativeness or femininity or I don't know just like being kind of like a dumb bitch having fun um and I mean I I I just I feel like I like all of it and like I respect all of it so much but maybe in my heart it is actually like I'm just getting that pleasure of like seeing Snooki act like an idiot 
because like I'm not acting like an idiot or something like that no No, I do I think there is like and that's what I was surprised by watching it because I I'm like oh my my first take like however many years ago was wrong because I think like watching it I was like I actually see a huge through line between Jersey Shore and the Chet Hanks concept of white boy summer which to me the idea of white boy summer is if we could all be as free as a white boy for one summer if we could all be as free as Snooki for one summer, you know what I mean? Just like to be white boy wasted, to be Snooki wasted, to be so free is that our job is just to work at the shore shop, like the shore store in unknown amount of times a week. But basically our life would just be about hanging out, having fun, getting white boy wasted, dancing with our friends, hooking up, having just like really small problems. You know what I mean? Like it is just like a certain, um, like freedom and lightness that is at the end of the day, like not hurting anyone. And like, obviously posing it as like white boy summer or whatever, like had it's invoking race in that way was like problematic for various reasons, especially in this moment. But like, to me, white boy summer was like the essence of that was like him being like, I want everyone to be as free as I am. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, when when the whole white boy summer thing first happened, I I loved it because I just Chet Hanks is like he's unlike any other person I've ever seen before in both his attitude and his circumstances. You but know, yet, just but yet referential of so much familiarity. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I mean, we I think we've gotten to a point where. I, I feel like it's like it's played out. He pushed it too hard and like yeah. I'm a little tired of it. But um yeah, it is like it feels like there's an innocence to it. Um and it because I mean it is like what what concerns could Chet Hanks pro- possibly have in this world? Like you have I mean I'm sure that there's some issues with like his his father and his father, you know, being cinema's father and not his own or something like that um sure but but I can't imagine he just truly seems like somebody where like nothing really goes through his head um and it you know like it's like that scene in Jersey Shore where Snooki is like really drunk on the boardwalk she's like where's the beach and the beach is right there next to her it's that level of just like pure emptiness uh mm-hmm. that but it is it's also a performance I mean Snooki yeah. knew where the beach was the beach was right there she knew where it was she was just yeah. giving us a little show I think Chad Hanks was doing the same thing yeah but I loved it I did like it so I think yeah I think like Chet Hanks I think is like a product of his time so that he is politely woke because he is just a modern man who knows um the right and wrong things to say and do uh and I think that he is kind of like understanding like he understands that he's in a really special position and he just like wants he like just is like wow I just wish that everyone could have what I have yeah yeah um And I don't know if Snooki is like, oh, I want to share this with everyone, but I think Snooki is kind of like, yeah, she's just, she's truly just like doing no harm. 
you know, the only harm she ever does is to her love life, her own love life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's like, actually, I really wanted to ask you, um, about the characters, like of the girls, what you relate to, because like Snooki and her love problems, I really like, I feel for her. I feel for her. I relate to her. I get it. She's just snooking for love. Yes. Um, it feels like Wow is like my aspirational figure. Like she's, you know, super sexy and like relatively together. Like she using like the lingo that they would have at the time. Like she's, she's the classiest of the mm-hmm. bunch, which I think is really funny how often they talk about being classy, but yes. um, it's in my heart. I mean, I, I know that I'm like much closer to Snooki. I mean, even just, to, even just by height alone, like I know that automatically I'm, I'm classified as Snooki. Mm-hmm. Um, but Wow is definitely always the one that I aspired to be. I wish, I want to know more about Snooki's boob job I mean, it's not sticky. Um, Jaywa's boob job. Like, I want to know how old she was when she got it. I want to know. I mean, there's probably if I had done Googling about this, I bet there's articles and stuff. Like, I want to know what her like before to after was, because I want to know how much of her confidence she bought, which sounds like a negative thing to say, but it isn't um, because I don't know, like control over your outward image is really powerful like I actually as I was writing out my thoughts I I called it top surgery and I realized like how much I've been thinking about um the idea of like creating ourselves and gender identity in that way where I'm like oh I'm at the point where I'm thinking of it as like that is her top surgery where she was like, you know what, for me to reach my like quote unquote final form, I need to like, I need to have this done because that's going to make me into who I need to be to present to the world. And that's just what it is like to become Wow, who is the person that I want to introduce. That is my, you know what I mean? Like that, like is my name and myself who I want to be. I'm going to need, she talks about, she's like, she talks about how many like CCs she has in there like she's like that's what I'm gonna need and it's like it's not even a there's no you know second thing said it's just like that's that's the truth of my femininity I'm gonna need these huge tits um but I kind of want to like know more about that because I kind of do think that she's sort of like I have created myself and now I am I mean I'm sure that she had the confidence and like intensity that she was but I wonder how much that was like sort of reinforced by like playing with her physicality. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I, I'm sure she's also, this is definitely something she's talked about, but how did she get the name Wow? Um, and, you know, why she decides to go by that name? I mean, yeah, it's very clear that she is somebody who has curated a sp- specific identity for herself. Um, and yeah, I would, I would love to know more about what goes through her head and particularly what was going through her head during that era, because I'm sure that now that she's like 
now that we have Instagram and everything to hypothetically understand these people better, I feel like we are maybe a little further away from the truth of, mm-hmm. of who those people are. But yeah, I mean, yeah, to just get into her head back in 2009, if only that would, that would have been I dream. started. I started following them all pretty much on Instagram because I was curious to see like where they're at these days. And she recently posted like a throwback carousel of photos that was like, sometimes I wonder how I wanted up on Jersey Shore. Then I see these pictures and it's all these pictures of her wearing like hot pink corsets, like with like drunk eyes and like greasy long hair with extensions looking like wasted and stuff. And like, I wonder <laughs> if she was like, I don't, I like, I don't think she was a stripper, but I wonder if she was like a bottle girl or like something like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wonder if she bought her boobs as like an investment for like something, you know what I mean? Like if she like was working in clubs or like something, like, I kind of feel like it wasn't just like for her self. Like, I feel like it was, I I don't know. I would absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's what logic would tell me is that like, she's at least like a bartender or something. Um, Wikipedia tells me right now that before Jersey Shore, she owned a graphic design business. Whoa. Um, <laughs> Early Photoshop hottie. Completely, yeah, out of left field for me. Um, you know what? She could have been an early, like, MySpace girl, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, you know, I wish, wish Wikipedia would tell me more right now. Um, yeah, they need more MySpace I, info. Yeah. So Who was? Okay. Know. And then... There was also Angelina who does leave mid-season. Angelina is like, I hate the parts of myself that I see in her, but I also can't deny them if I'm going to like grow as a person. But yeah. Yeah. Angelina, when I see the parts of her that are like stubborn, selfish princess, um, like she's like, she won't budge. I'm like, especially I see like a young version of myself. I'm like, Oh God, that's me at my like absolute worst. Um, yeah. It's also like, funny. She calls herself the Kim Kardashian of Staten Island. <laughs> and again, this is 2009. So Kim, is, I mean, Kim had only been relevant for like, cause I think Kim also like 2007 going back to like one of the most important years in history. I think 2007 was also when the sex tape came out or like, or the show had premiered or something. So it's like also very like, that was a pretty, not new, new reference, but like, you know, Kim Kardashian hadn't been as established as it is to like reference her today. Right. Yeah, definitely not. Um, I, I noticed like on multiple occasions, she calls herself a cock blocker too, which yeah. is something I... I also would relate to just like that. I imagine like living in that house with those men and then bringing home other women, it would strike like an insecurity into you where the only thing for you to do is to like be really fucking annoying to them Mm -hmm. and, and to cock block. Um, Yeah. But I definitely respect that. She was like, I don't want to go to work at this t-shirt shop so badly (laughs) that I'm going to leave the whole show. 
Like, yes. Oh, <laughs> that I like, especially a younger version of me, like the jobs I quit and the way I quit them and the reasons why were just as bad. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that was, yeah, I, I would have done that kind of shit. I would have been like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to just like completely uproot my whole life because I don't want to do this one thing one day. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I get it. Her boyfriend like weirdly broke up with her for like kind of seemingly no reason um, the day before and yeah, all of that. But it was just, it was thrilling to me how quickly she just like th- threw it all away because she didn't want to go work at the t-shirt shop one morning. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I know. But that also is kind of just like, like women, some women aren't built for work. And like, I feel like I'm one of them. Like some of us just aren't made to show up and work. No, no, not at all. Like none of, none of the women on Jersey Shore, especially, but um, yeah, no, I like, I can't really think of another reality show like that, where one of the stipulations is that you have to perform a public facing job for like minimum wage in order (laughs) to be on the show. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, I guess it would be like, yeah, why, why can't you guys just let us live here and party like without these strings attached? I I guess it offered like a sense of realism to it that like, if Mm -hmm. you were a young person living on the shore for the summer, you were obviously going to have some kind of shitty job like that, but yeah. Yeah, I yeah. kind of like that they had that built-in stakes of like, okay, you're gonna like, you know, in ex- in exchange for living in my house, you're gonna work in my store. And yeah, yeah. Danny the boss. But it does seem like it it didn't really it doesn't really add that that much to the to the show. No. I mean, and is it is that there in the later seasons? I don't remember. Like Yeah. When they go to Miami, they work at a pizza. No, they work at a gelato shop. Yes. And when they oh go to God. Italy, they work at a pizzeria. And then, yeah, they just continue working at the t-shirt shop. I mean, yeah, especially in those later seasons, it's like they're really just holding on to like a gimmick of the of the show. Like it, at that point, it makes no sense to have them keep working because like yeah. they're, they're celebrities at that point so yeah and it I'm speaks watch, for I'm itself watching, I'm on season six now and you can tell that there is like crowd control and stuff and that there's kind of like that it's set up in a way where it's like okay today is a day where the Jersey Shore people are going to be are going to be working and if you want to come there like it's just it, you can tell that it's like there's security and then it's like managed and like there's a girl like I just watched an episode where there's a girl who's a stalker of Polly D and she's wearing a like spray painted hat that says like DJ Polly D and she's wearing a shirt that says cabs are here which is like one of his taglines that comes up in later seasons um so it's like because the reason I really wanted to focus on season one is because by season two they are like in the public consciousness and aware of themselves and it's still like enjoyable for various reasons but it is not season one like season one is they are it's just like raw in a way that like can't come back and this is also like before things were able to like come out so quickly that they could have become aware of themselves during filming like the whole season is 
free from them knowing about themselves which also it's it's one thing also that's interesting is like they don't have cell phones so there's no drama about texting there's no drama about posting there's no drama about likes um you know what I mean like he yeah. did or didn't like this like he did or didn't dm her about blah 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 and it's really fucking nice to watch tv that doesn't have like to watch reality that doesn't have any kind of like fucking sexless like dm drama where it's like right oh, on my phone this happened it's like what could be more boring than what happened on someone's fucking phone i know we never would have gotten the note about yes. ronnie if, yes. if there were phones, yes. um, which, you know, it's just so, such a classic moment. And I think another thing- Is that season one? I think it might be late season one. Yeah. Maybe it's season two. Um, I can't remember now. But another season one moment that shocks me that it happened, and it shocked me since, since that episode came out, is when some dude punches Snooki in the face at the bar. I know. Actually, okay, I really wanted to talk about this because this enforces the, like, the Jersey Shore code of ethics is very clear on certain points. And, like, one of them is, like, bro, you don't hit a girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm just, like, shocked that it happened. Um, like, I, I think for a variety of reasons you know, my hope would be that it wouldn't happen today, but I I also just don't think that it would. Um, I'm very curious about like, where is that man today? Like, Mm -hmm. did it, did it derail his life in any way besides like he gets arrested? Um, But like, yeah, if that, if that happened today, like we would, we would have doxxed him immediately and like known that he, lost his job and things like that I mean I'm sure he probably did but I'm, I'm well, just I like so that on curious the show, about it there's a very it's extremely clean action to consequence as soon as he hits a girl he is immediately arrested by the boardwalk police like yeah. <laughs> if you lay hands on a female you will be arrested like and I really like that there is there's just a truly zero tolerance for any physicality towards women and that's like it doesn't like that's the most clean example of that on the show but it comes up a couple of times where like like there's a scene where um uh Ronnie and Sam are walking and there's a guy that's like kind of he's trying to mess with Ronnie for basically no reason I think a lot of drama they get in which they don't address is because they have cameras on them and it's people being like hey, you're not real Jersey Shore people. Like, we're going to fuck with you because we know you're with MTV and, like, that's lame. Um, And so this guy's, like, trying to fuck with Ronnie. And because Ronnie won't respond to him, he starts kind of trying to get at him through Sam. And there's also sort of a notice or, like, a moment where it's, like, you don't fuck with a woman to get to a man. Like, that Mm -hmm. should be known, bro. Yeah, there's definitely like these codes of of conduct about performing gender and like these um but 
I think especially the, the masculinity part to me is like the most interesting and like how they are these these himbos um but we were not using that that term at the time and there's not I don't know I don't know what do you think about it I think okay I was also very interested in the female male gender roles okay it's also it's really interesting because the show is entirely hetero there is no like because this is 2009 they didn't need to like consider the fact that there was nothing but like hetero relationships and like I think that there's like I feel like there's like one mention of something gay in the first season I don't remember what it was but I feel like I remember like one tiny mention um I also remember there's I don't know if this is season one or another season but it's like um a rumor that I think it's about Dina who comes in I think season three or something and like I think it's like a rumor that she likes doing something like thought related and everyone is like freaking out like ew like oh like that's where poop comes from like etc yeah and it's just so funny because now it's like the butt is like it's very normalized like everyone wants to like do things talk about it blah 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 blah. and it's just very interesting like how like trends and like normalization of like sex it's just like yeah that was it like wasn't that long ago that um like butt stuff was considered like like fucking weird yeah um right but but there's definitely there's this like kind of homoerotic component to the like they are constantly like Vinny and Polly will pull girls and have sex with them you know in the same room and it's very much a bonding thing for them yeah, they are always like, okay, so in the house, they have a guest room, which they don't, it isn't in the first season, they call it the smush room, but they call it the smush room later. And like smush is a great term for sex. I love that because it it like, yeah. is so real because like sex isn't like banging is too grand for what sex really is. Smush is much more accurate to what sex actually is, especially if you're wasted. <laughs> you're just smushing. Yeah. Smushing yes. your like, fucking flesh together um so I really like that terminology smush but uh (laughs) they um yeah they they have this room where they can like go and have sex in like a queen-sized bed in in privacy but often they just choose to have sex in their twin-sized bed in like under the covers that's another thing is they're always like putting the covers all the way over them to have sex yeah. like in this like dome of private like fake privacy and it's just weird because like I kind of remember like being younger and like having sex under the covers and like sort of like getting to the point of being older and eventually being like oh I'm gonna have sex like on top of the bed like I'm not like uncomfortable with my body in that way yeah. anymore and like or yeah. and or there's like certain things I want to do that like the covers are like not gonna work for that or whatever right yeah, I mean, I guess like the covers are partially just because they're being filmed, I guess. But yeah, there's that too. Yeah, I mean, which <laughs> is like, I I guess I don't know how I would feel if I was in that situation 
if I'd like I was on covers yeah I mean I feel like I wouldn't even I feel very like turned off by the idea of like having sex while on a reality tv show and like knowing that it's being recorded from above but at the same time I definitely think like it just being a being on a reality show makes you do things you would not do normally mm-hmm. like yeah. I I'm I'm sure I would end up like blackout drunk doing something that I didn't really want to do would not do in normal circumstances but just like the the idea that I'm on this reality tv show and that like I'm performing makes you do these things I guess yeah especially after like a couple of weeks of like getting used to it you probably like start to change a little bit um but yeah getting back to like the gender roles was interesting because there is really distinct like this is what a man is. This is what a woman is like in the Jersey shore universe, but it doesn't completely line up to like, what is a man? What is a woman in either like the historical definition, the Italian American definition, like men are very vain. They spend a lot of time on their bodies, their looks. Um, They are also the only ones who cook. None of the girls know how to cook they also do like most of the the men do the cooking and the cleaning the girls really are just like doing really they are truly princesses who do like nothing yeah I mean and somehow the boys which is very feminine in its way they'll find all that time for gym tan and laundry I yeah I, I don't know how they I really don't know how it's done um I'm thinking about it like what what are the women doing with their free time on the show? I don't know if it ever really tells us in the first season, at least. Like, Snooki likes to sleep a lot. We know that. <laughs> um, I mean, they go and get, they go and get tans, right? They do at least that. Sometimes part. they have nails and hair to do. Mm, okay. Um, yeah, it's just funny that the, the boys spend just as much time caring for their appearance if not even more if like they're they're going to the gym and the girls aren't um yet yeah I didn't really ever think about that part that they're doing all of the cooking and the cleaning as well so yeah I don't... which is interesting because I was thinking about that I was like so okay like where did they where did the boys learn to cook and the girls didn't like and what I yeah. think is that the boys are all mama's boys. And I imagine <laughs> that they very much were just like in the kitchen with their moms and picked it up that way. And the girls seem to be a little bit of daddy's girls. And it's weird though, because some of them do say that they have like, like my mom is my best friend kind of thing, but it doesn't seem, it seems like a lot of them have really kind of like enabling loving parents who sort of let them do whatever they want and kind of like like on day two Snooki's like I want to go home and her parents are like well maybe it's meant to be they're not like no you're doing a thing and you need to stick it out they're very much just like oh honey like come home if you need it you know yeah yeah I'm I just found something I think is kind of crucial um about 
Snooki at least is Snooki. She is 100% Chilean, but she was adopted by Italian American parents. Oh my God. So so maybe that's why she's so obsessed with finding a Jusek Guido. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I feel like that's a distinction that I did not really like, I didn't hear that, you know, she's adopted by Italian parents. So she's like very much brought up in that kind of environment. But I mean, I don't know if that at all would explain like the differences in how she's treated by her parents or something. But I mean, I, with the boys, it does seem like them being mama's boys, but still like very much acting however they want and like being reckless and partying and all of that. And like, it not really being like an issue um, with their relationship with their parents, like is probably part of like the gender norm of like, you know, being a son, you get to do whatever you want. Whereas like being a daughter, your parents don't necessarily have that idea in their heads. Um, But yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess I just, I hadn't thought of it before that. I mean, I noticed in one of the recent episodes that the boys do some grilling, but they fucked it up entirely by like charcoal. <laughs> they put charcoal oh, yeah. into a gas grill. Like, so they kind of like break the grill. So to me, I felt like it suggested there's like, you know, there's some knowledge there of what you're supposed to do, but also like they're totally clueless. So. Yeah. Cause I think in general, it's kind of the thing of like, these are all like, like some of them are first generation, like Vinny is like first generation, but I think most of them are like second, third, and they're kind of in the place where, um, you know, they were brought up like in relative comfort and don't need to like necessarily, you know, and also in a time where like you can order food and pick up food and you know what I mean? Like you don't have to feed yourself from making things from scratch from, you know what I mean? Like not in such dire circumstances where it's like, oh, there's other ways to, to feed myself in this American lifestyle with the sort of the money that I have and the things that are at my disposal and the way that the world works these days. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I guess I I think a lot of them live lived with their parents prior to coming on the show, but I'm not sure mm-hmm. if all of them did. I feel like maybe like, like Wow wasn't or something. Well, okay, so but I feel like like their Snooki ages. Vinny definitely was. Vinny, okay, so Vinny was 21, mm-hmm. and Polly was 29 which I didn't realize they had such a huge range of ages. So, and I'm guessing like, I didn't look up Mike, the situation's age, but like, to me, like he looks the oldest. And I, I didn't realize that Polly was so old. He didn't, he looks yeah. younger Is to he me. Not, I thought the situation was definitely the oldest. The situation looks like so old. Um, he, especially now, I mean- yeah he has like okay he has wow i yeah his instagram's interesting he has like a whole protein powder called like protein mm-hmm. and he has an instagram account for his like unborn baby called i think this is called like situation baby or something and his like <laughs> wife runs and it's like mostly pregnancy pictures of her 
but like yeah he is fully leaned into the kind of like making money off of like anything that will like put his name on it yeah yeah definitely what i mean the situation have like can you like go bankrupt and then like maybe need to go to jail for like tax evasion or something crazy i don't sounds about right to me that guy he is a bad guy you just know it yeah oh yeah no i mean i like everybody on the show except for the situation like i distinctly i distinctly don't like him so yeah i don't know i know i was gonna ask you to do fuck marry kill with the boys but to take out the situation because he's so obviously the one we would both kill yeah yeah um well then uh yeah uh, it would be just unfortunately for ronnie he would have to take the place because ronnie just doesn't do anything for me yeah. whereas Polly d and Vinny very much do something for me i mean I would, I would probably yeah say like you'd have to fuck Polly and then marry Vinny. i mean Vinny just seems yeah. like the obvious he's the obvious like husband material i know i've really yeah he i've started following him he is now the keto guido so he's like a low carb guy (laughs) yes he posts memes that are like it's like a stick figure and it's oh my god this meme is it's like a stick figure and it's like eats pizza coke fries and then it's like a bloated stick figure and it's like breathes looking at chocolate and it's about how like some of us just don't really digest oh, yeah. some, some of us <laughs> I was like relatable like wow I definitely have carbohydrate problems also babe um but yeah I, yeah Vinny is really like doing it for me definitely he's definitely husband material um yeah and Polly but I mean honestly like Polly is it not husband material because he does seem just like really fun he's has a great attitude yeah um he's no drama yeah I think you know like an an ideal situation would be that like you get to be in a throuple with both both Polly and Vinny because I very much have the the belief I mean to this day that Polly and Vinny are you know they have their own little relationship going like I feel like they're a package deal yeah they're the kind of guys that like, uh, if I was a guy, I would want to be a one of a guy like that. Yeah, definitely. Um, like just like very fun, like very like open about my bromance, like have a best buddy, just like very about jokes and pranks. Yeah. And I, I really feel like aesthetically they are a perfect combo because, you know, Polly is like the much more like a bravado to his look and spend a lot more time on his appearance and Vinny's like the more laid-back version and it's it's together there's like the perfect balance between yeah them. I've so. always felt this about like when I would go out with like my girlfriends when we were younger and like a little bit more like trying to like be hot and meet guys like you want to go out with girls who kind of like compliment you but don't like I don't want to go out with a girl who like looks too much like me you know like you want to yeah. go out with a girl who's gonna kind of like like you want one girl with like who has tits and one girl who has ass or like one blonde <laughs> one brunette or something like that you know what I mean like you don't want to step yeah. on each other's style and I feel like Vinny and um Polly are kind of like 
yeah, like anyone could be kind of into both of them, but they don't really trample each other's like thing. No, not at all. Um, which what, what you're just saying reminded me um, of something crucial, I think that they brought to the culture, which is the term grenade. Um, I, 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 they, they used it for the first time in like episode four and the girl that they're saying is like a total fucking grenade is like a, a very attractive young blonde woman. Yeah. She's, per- she's perfectly fine. She ends up like acting like annoying and being kind of a bitch, but like, that's not why she's being called the grenade. Like I, that I think instilled a lot of anxieties into young female viewers of the show of being a grenade because it seemed like just about anybody could be a grenade yeah they're okay the slang that they use is also really captivated me I love that they call guys like that kid or like a kid they'll be like I don't know I feel like we don't call men kid anymore yeah and it's and like, but they'll also call girls like that girl or like a girl in a way that's like, I don't know how to describe it, but yeah, grenade. They also call women creatures if they're like <laughs> ugly. Um, but yeah, grenade was interesting. It's also, it's, it's this very interesting what and who they think is beautiful when, because yeah. a lot of times these girls are like fucking wasted They've got like sunburnt noses. Oh They're my like, God. Yeah. It's just like, it's a mess. Like everyone's a mess. Like very, very infrequently. Um, very infrequently. Very infrequently. Do they actually have like um, a truly like beautiful girl shows up, but this yes. is also the era before Instagram face. Right. So Definitely, so people look like people. Yeah, yes. That, that's totally it. That like, uh, it's kind of like on both sides of it, the girls that they call grenades is enough to induce like anxiety about your own appearance, but also the girls that they think are just like drop dead gorgeous. You're, it's, it's kind of like a similar confusion about which is which that... Either way, I think you can find a way to feel good or bad about yourself looking at the women that they on the show and how they talk about them. So, yeah. They, um, wait, did you watch the episode where Polly meets a Jewish girl? Or an Israeli (laughs) girl? I'm not there yet, no. But I'm sure that is... Oh my god. There's like a moment where, um they're like everyone's fighting and she's like you guys are acting like Israelis and then he's like no if we were acting like Israelis we'd be like and he does automatic gunfire <laughs> and I just like I don't know if this would be on tv right now like I don't think that they would uh oh yeah no there's a lot of things I I think would not be on tv today yeah I mean I wonder if like in any of like the newer things that they've done with with the show that they've had to like be told to tone it down or something like that because the, there was no filter really on like the sorts of things they were saying they definitely I was watching an episode um from season six last night and the situation as a friend called the unit which is so funny 
because sometimes just for short, they call him unit, which makes him sound like truly less than human, like just calling <laughs> someone unit. But he definitely calls him the N-word. He like picks up the phone and he's like, what's up, my N-word? And this guy is obvious, like they're both white guys. Yeah. Um, and it's just like things like that where I'm like, I wonder if um, because there's been like I've heard like about um like movies that are on streaming having things edited out mm-hmm. from them that are like if you have the DVD or the VHS, like are definitely like in them. Um yeah. and I mean TV shows is there's so many like it's probably not worth it or whatever but like I do wonder if we'll get to a point where these tv shows like will be they'll like go back and take out certain scenes and stuff like that because they're not pc yeah or whatever yeah yeah I think that's definitely possible um but uh, like again it, it would be like it would be the studios that were making that decision and not probably the viewer so but I, like, which I think makes it all the more possible that like, yeah, studios, they have the capacity to go back now and like cut what they're playing on Hulu. Um, yeah. But I kind of hope they don't. I want it. I want it raw. I know. I noticed actually um, I was watching Dancing with the Stars actually. And it was like live closed captioning, like automatic or whatever. And there was something one of the dancers, so like not a celebrity, but one of the dancers said that was like a Russia or like Putin like joke that was actually really funny. And they didn't have, they was just like muted out of the closed captioning. They just like didn't transcribe it. (laughs) Oh my God. This shit is like, it's just very interesting. Like, oh, like we have like free speech or whatever, but like moderated free speech. I don't know. Oh yeah. Yeah um and yeah it's like that that is like real like cancel culture as like a an institution is like is a real thing like it is but it's like to me it's it's an institutional thing like it's not mm-hmm. like I I don't know I feel like it gets mislabeled that like somebody is like like a group of individuals are like mad that Dr. Seuss like once wrote something racist. And so they have to like stop publishing these books. Like, no, like the, the institutions supporting these forms of media are deciding not to. Yeah. Yeah. I hate it. I want it messy. Yeah. I want this culture messy. Speaking of, we can go on to our, our next topic, the opioid crisis lookbook. Yes. Which is, I guess it's it's technically a magazine, but I discovered mm-hmm. it as an Instagram account. Um, and I posted about it and you were really, you saw it and were really drawn in by it. Yeah, I I learned about it from from you posting about it. And I think the first thing that you posted was was uh, Meg Superstar Princess um, it doing this, like the, it was swag essentials for druggy types. And it was like the, th- the things that are kind of in, in, in an out list of like what's cool and what's not. And so like cool is like tiny, like compact mirrors and like not cool is like juicy couture tracksuits because they're like played out or something. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I was very fascinated by the idea of the opioid crisis lookbook. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how I got into it. And I did end up downloading the actual 
first issue of the lookbook um, and combing through a lot of that. Um, have you looked at the actual lookbook? No, I mean, I saw that you, that it was like, I saw that it was sold out. Like I saw that you could buy it. It looks like it's, I saw that it was for sale in pounds. So I assumed it was um, published yeah. in England. Yeah, I guess so. Even though to me, it feels very, very American, very American and also very New York in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I just, they have like a free PDF download. So I did that. Oh, I didn't see that. Um, yeah, highly recommend it. Um I don't know how, but they have like, like Courtney Love is like interviewed and they've got a lot going on in it. Um, I feel like these are probably like <laughs> Lower East Side types who are ultimately probably pretty connected to um, yeah. the art world yeah. and celebrities. When like I saw Courtney that, Love. when I saw that Courtney Love was like on the contributor list, I was like, oh, this isn't nothing. Like this didn't. Like, this isn't nothing. This doesn't come out of nowhere. This yeah. Is like, someone doing something. But, yeah, like, um, the Instagram account, I one of the things I really like is that they will gather up a bunch of, like, like, recently they did a roundup of images of, like, promotional, like, they'll do promotional material from, like, early on in, um, like, just, like, all of the pens that doctors were given to like promote mm-hmm. oxy content and like things like that like um or like juxtaposing just like images of of things that were going on at the time about sort of like escaping reality with video games but then juxtaposed with like you know managing your pain or like that life can like feel better like with these drugs or whatever and um yeah it definitely is like got like a lowbrow highbrow thing that I'm attracted to but I was sort of just like um I was kind of like throwaway interested in in it but I know that you were really like you it really resonated with you so I I wanted to like hear more about why yeah well I mean so I guess just like what initially drew me in you know, beyond like that that combination of like high and low aesthetics is just like, yeah, I very much see myself as somebody who has come up like in, in the opioid epidemic, um, mm-hmm. especially like, was that what being... you're, when you said that your sister had gone to rehab, was it all yeah. opioid related? Yeah. Yeah. Her and my father, uh, growing up were both heroin addicts and then, you know, like pills and, you know, whatever, uh, opioids and benzos and all of that. So I feel very much like I was I was raised by the opioid epidemic in some ways. Um, And so to see it like as an aesthetic, I think is like really fascinating Um, and uh, like a little fun in like a darker way. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, I, I, I guess it's, I think it's just a really interesting, like what they're doing is a really interesting retrospective of kind of the last, I don't know, decade, because it doesn't feel, what they're doing feels contemporary, but it really banks on nostalgia. Like this isn't, this isn't today, like all of the old, the old Oxy 
advertisements and the merchandise and the things that they were giving to doctors and all of that is like we're beyond that now we kind of see these people as the the enemy as we're supposed to um and so it's it's definitely more of like a um it's really more of like a nostalgia thing i think at this point which also i think is you know the aesthetic that like meg's superstar princess um is banking on as well yeah i like what you okay i liked you're drawing in our notes I like that you are drawing back to heroin chic because like when I think of oxy and like the opioid epidemic and pill heads I think a lot more of kind of like the juggalo aesthetic that we were talking about earlier um and I think much more like rural right and like yeah uh and I, and when I think heroin chic, I think obviously like Kate Moss. And I think of that being elevated, probably much, I was going to say for better or worse, but definitely for worse. I think of it being elevated in a certain nineties way um, that I think actually, when we say heroin chic, I think we're actually probably talking a lot more about cocaine <laughs> than we yeah. are about heroin. So I don't really actually know that much about why those things got conflated because I think we're talking about like coke skinny women yeah absolutely um I mean I I think that sort of the difference that like I haven't really been able to pin down entirely something that they talk a lot about in the, the opioid crisis lookbook is like how narco capitalism is like kind of a means of of managing excitement in different forms and that like the earliest forms of narco capitalism like an example would be um using using these drugs to help sedate people during surgeries so they're not like waking up and Uh making making performing these surgeries impossible yeah um and so that's like kind of the the broader metaphor of like this it's like a means of managing emotions and feelings to make things uh possible make things manageable again um and but then you know when you think about cocaine it's more that's like that's that's about like eliciting a feeling of excitement yeah. um but I guess the answer would be that it's like it's a false form of excitement and also that like stimulants are very much used to like get things done um mm-hmm. in a way that is like still very in line with like an idea of narco-capitalism oh yeah yeah that's true yeah like you <laughs> yeah like being a trader or something and be like I need to be more productive at my financial job I'm gonna use cocaine for productivity yeah yeah or whatever um and I think, and yeah, another reason why you're definitely right about it being more like the heroin chic look definitely seems more like a cocaine look because it's like, it's a rich person's look. And mm-hmm. for most of the lifetime of heroin, it's never been seen as a rich person's drug yeah. um, where cocaine has. So, uh, which is, and then there's, the, there's like the dichotomy between um, like Coke, which 
originally was like very expensive and like hard to get and like now we all know that that has changed a lot and like probably a lot of us who have like done coke haven't had like quote-unquote like real coke or whatever that whatever it was in the 80s like back when it was hard to get and very expensive and rarefied versus like crack which is I whatever basically the same thing but is like the poor person's version of that and if you look at like heroin and uh opioids we don't really have like a rich person version of that but rich people still do fall victim to the opioid crisis not in as big of numbers but they do right definitely I mean that is what really like made it into a crisis uh from like a broader societal perspective was that it was like you know this is well-off suburban kids that it's killing um you know rather than like lower class people or black people um and so it's uh yeah I mean what the opioid crisis did was like it would you know they would give some kind of opioid to like a teenager getting their wisdom teeth removed or something and then they become addicted to those pills and then like eventually they probably do turn to like street heroin um as as like the replacement um which yeah that's what happened to a lot of people that's why it's the crisis but um I guess yeah that would be like the rich person's version of heroin would be like the actual like pharmaceutical pill form yeah Um, but I don't think it's as black and white of a distinction there that's true yeah um fuck I just lost my thought I was gonna say something about no I just completely lost it sorry (laughs) (laughs) um I'm thinking about one of my other notes that I have that the one of the creators of the opioid crisis lookbook spoke to somebody at filter magazine and talks about criminality as a style um which I think is like kind of like the crux of the aesthetic uh is like this weird like there's a a seediness to it that makes it cool I guess Mm -hmm. um and yeah I don't know I guess I struggle with like the idea of how I struggle with the idea of authenticity in a lot of forms but especially with this one because um you know like if it is this going to become like or is it already even like a hip aesthetic of like this yeah look look of drug use um look of addiction more significantly um and are you like uh, you know are these people appropriating like my my culture I guess. yeah <laughs> um, I mean yeah like drugs and stuff are always gonna be like romanticized for various reasons including because like it is edgy and it is bad because whatever you are like skating death or like teasing death um yeah so I think that like it always will and like especially I think like people who are really caught up in aesthetics which is going to be like 
fashion people or like people in New York or like big cultural centers are always kind of looking to like find like what's next and like what looks different like what looks hard to look at Mm -hmm. like what is challenging to look at and something like this like is hard to look at because it's so it's so nothing in one way yeah and it's so dark in another way where it's like oh it just looks like a bunch of like whatever people who live in wherever and like have nothing to say of any consequence blah 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 like who cares what they wear right but at the same time it's also like oh we know that this represents something like really fucking dark that's happening so like dressing like this or looking like this or like taking this style like does mean something if you really know how to read the codes right it absolutely I mean it's like coke is not that edgy anymore um but like using using opioids and especially becoming addicted very much still has like the idea of that being um you know so like outsider so like beyond the norm um that aesthetically it is like it's cool because it's it's so so different I guess yeah 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 if you're coming from like being in a city and like fetishizing like what's outside of a city because you're always trying to like yeah do a pendulum swing for like wherever you are to like be something opposite of like what you are where you are um I actually do remember what I was going to think of which was that the like pre-covid um I think we talked about the opioid crisis a lot and we were kind of finally talking about it in a way that it was like as big as it was worth talking about and then Mm -hmm. it felt like with covid like a lot of things fell off like there's on my last episode we talked a little bit about um sustainability was like a big thing we were talking about that we kind of stopped talking about basically uh during covid for various reasons and i think opioid crisis is also something that just kind of like disappeared like it's just something that stopped being a conversation and even in that time like i'm pretty sure like this sackler family had like a huge settlement um Mm -hmm. like news happened like big things happened but because there was a much bigger more pressing more like immediate story it's not something that's really been like in the conversation as much as it was um I don't know a year and a half ago yeah I mean I definitely think like the the pandemic has almost definitely made the crisis worse um yeah because we all know that addiction like and substance abuse in all forms has been made so much worse yeah so I mean, like, yeah, we're not equipped, like, emotionally as, as a society to, to deal with that right now. But like, we will, we will have to eventually. Um, And yeah, it's, it really only gets scarier and scarier because like fentanyl is, what it is now and it's where it is now that like just way more people are going to keep dying um and yeah I don't really know what the fuck we're supposed to do about it but actually 
I was wondering when I was watching the Jersey Shore, I was thinking like, what drugs are they on? Like, yeah. Are they just drunk or like, they have to be like, there has to be more going on. Yeah. I'm, I'm, do you think they were using just like really cheap Coke? Like, like I definitely think there has to be like some Coke use on the show that like, I'm way, I can't believe that like, the situation hasn't come out and been like, yeah, like I was fucking high on coke the whole time. Like I, I, it surprises me that that hasn't come out yet. Um, but yeah, I guess I don't know much about the Jersey Shores that as as a location. Uh, yeah, dr- drug use. Or so, like, yeah, but- to, in two thousand nine, like I don't know what people. I just assume they were doing like weird, like cheap fake coke, like coke yeah. that was fake weird. I don't know, like, yeah, or something. Definitely just staying up, like staying up and going. Cause I don't think they were on like, they weren't doing like ecstasy. Cause no. you'd be able to tell. Yeah. No, I, I know like there's been multiple occasions on the show where they're like bringing a girl home at like four in the morning and they're like going up to the roof deck to like get into the hot tub and like everyone seems like very awake and with it. I'm like, I, I can't imagine just being drunk and it being four in the morning and like seeing so like seeming so up and ready for whatever. I know uh, because they're like, <laughs> we go out at 1130 and I'm like, Oh my God, I yeah. don't know how to do that anymore. But gra- but I no. like, but they're in their early twenties. So like maybe if I was in my early twenties, like I could do that. But like, yeah, I'm like, go out at 1130. That's crazy. Cause I, I think that like, um, like Coke to me is funny. Cause I, I really think of it as like something that like you start using when you get older and you like, don't really want to face the fact that like, you can't hang the way that you used to, like yeah. you sort of use it because you're like, I want to party. Like I am now in my mid late twenties, but I want to keep being able to do it. Like I used to. And like, yes. Coke makes me feel like it's a cool, sexy thing, but like in reality, I'm just sort of like facing my age. Right. Yeah. The reality is that like you're, you're doing Coke because like, you're not as cool and sexy as you were before. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. But I don't like, I like to think that the people on Jersey Shore, like there's just, they just inherently have that energy to them, but it does not make any sense to me that they would. So anyway, that was my, that was my side part, but actually, um, Next superstar princess. She was on an episode of um, on my last episode. Biz Sherbert. She has a podcast called Nymphet Alumni, and Meg was on an episode of that. And she was talking about how she really thinks that like um, we need to like get out of like ketamine land, and like it needs to be like a Coke summer, like coming out yeah. of um, like COVID ketamine like downers and like being alone and like that uppers like need to come back which I do agree with I think that like that makes a lot of sense for like the the COVID back summer like everyone needs to be like out up about multiple locations like yeah I completely agree like there there should be no k-holing alone in your living room this summer yeah that should be banned um Um, yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big weed head and like, I definitely, I'm, I'm going to have to need to like be tapering my like smoking weed alone because I, I know I need to like be out in the world. Um, 
socializing and being with it and not like very uh, much so zoning out and like having brilliant thoughts alone (laughs) yeah yeah I I don't smoke weed at all which I think makes me like one of the most boring people ever like I'm I I mean I used to smoke weed but I had one of those you know everybody has a moment where like they think that they're going to be the first person to die from um, a weed overdose (laughs) so I you know I had mine and then I just didn't enjoy it again but um, I don't know it's kind of actually one of my maybe one of my 2021 summer goals is to comfortably take a hit of a joint again yeah Yeah. (laughs) my problem is that I can't I'm every guy that I date doesn't like weed like doesn't smoke it they either get like really um paranoid or they're just like no I get way too sleepy or they're just like I don't like it or whatever so then I'm always like oh can I why why can't I find like the why can't I find a man (laughs) that doesn't seem like it should be so hard oh my god that's really funny um but I don't think they smoke weed on Jersey Shore no, I don't think they do. Um, I, Again, you would be able to tell, and two, they wouldn't be able to hang out as much as they do. Yeah, I think like Snooky and Sammy seem like they might, but yeah, the rest of them, the rest of them don't. Um, well, Sammy kind of so. seems like she would do like she is a boyfriend girl. Like no offense, yeah. but like she really seems she like is. she would do like whatever her boyfriend does. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I I have a big stoner boyfriend, um, and uh, it's you know that that's his culture, that's his lifestyle, and it's uh, very funny to me because I'm just I don't smoke any weed at all. And yeah, this is the this yeah. See, you're in the inverse of the relationship that I'm usually in, but then I feel weird because I'm like, oh, like I'm the girl, and like um, like I'm the like weed head and like the guy is like the one who's like not yeah. into it so yeah I'm, like trying like not to like be annoying anyway um we could probably end this episode now we're like well over an hour but this was really fun yeah we just had so much to chat about I mean there's just so much to say yeah um where can the people find you the people can find me on on twitter or instagram at Magda J. Taylor. Um, that's those are my preferred locations. Um, cool. I also I also have my my you know portfolio website. It's MagdalenTaylor.com. If you like wanted to read my thesis or like find links to the articles I've written and things like yeah. that. So yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming um, to my very early episodes of my podcast, which. Hopefully looking down the road, you'll be like, wow, I can't, I'm so glad we both did that. Who knew where we'd be now in (laughs) some time in the future? I don't know. Yeah. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. I love talking about the Jersey Shore and the opioid epidemic. I know. I'm looking (laughs) forward to figuring out what I'm going to name this episode that is um, fun, but not misleading. Yeah. Um. Okay, I'm gonna stop the recording now. Okay. But not stop the video if I can figure cool. out how to do that. <laughs>